Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined in studio by Lauren Windsor, the executive producer of The Undercurrent. She's also executive director of American Family Voices, as well as a partner with both Democracy Partners and Mike Lux Media. In the 2020 cycle, she was deputy communications director for the Tom Steyer presidential campaign. Lauren, welcome. Thanks for having me, Reed. All right, so today you've brought us some clips that feature some choice moments from some of our favorite characters in the Republican Party, and we're gonna get to those shortly. But first, I wanna hear a little bit about your background and how the undercurrent came to be. I really came into politics through activism in the Occupy movement. And I was living out in Los Angeles. I became a member of the media team. I was a self-taught videographer. I was traveling around the country filming protests. And then eventually, this was at the same time that Current Television had a studio in Los Angeles. And the Young Turks were a big flagship program for the outlet. So it was pitching different people like within Current and different people at the Young Turks and eventually was able to pitch them on this concept for a web show called The Undercurrent, covering Occupy and grassroots protest movements, going to rallies and interviewing politicians and activists. So here you are, you start with the Occupy movement. Now you are sitting on the podcast of a group that's a bunch of former Republicans. So let me ask you this. When you were covering the Occupy movement, did you believe in 10 years you would be sitting here with us? I mean, it wouldn't have been out of character. I grew up in the South and was surrounded by Republicans. You know, I have Republican friends. I've dated Republicans. Oh, my God. I know. Crazy, right? And even during that time of Tea Party Occupy, there was always this sort of overlap between Tea Party and Occupy, where it was a lot of people that are really angry about crony capitalism. Right. There was a lot of overlap. And you could see that it was just two different ways of dealing with that information. Right. Well, and that crony capitalism problem is only blossomed further, I guess, in the last 10 years or so. So now with Undercurrent, just to give the audience some context and background before we listen to some of your clips, you go to various political functions whether or not it's a county meeting, whether or not it's a cattle call of candidates. I know just this past weekend you were at the sort of fizzled J6 rally on the mall. How do you psych yourself up to go into the lion's den? I think in the early days, it was a lot more anxiety inducing. You know, I I have a certain amount of comfort with it now, but there's still the anxiety of right before you're talking to Mike Pence, for example, Standing in the crowd and, you know, getting the courage to ask the question that you want to ask is definitely anxiety inducing, particularly when it involves a certain amount of danger from the people around them and how they may react to your question. Right. Because I found and I don't want to get too much into the tradecraft of how you do what you do, because I think it's important for some things to be left to the imagination, both for our friends and for our opponents. 
But how do you decide what questions you're going to ask? I've been doing some degree of undercover work since 2012. But really, the main focus of the early undercover work was, you know, like ALEC conventions or Mm -hmm. Coke retreats, places where you obviously weren't going to get in. Like they just did not accept media. A lot of times in a press outlet, you know, I was affiliated with the Young Turks. I would register as press. I would get into cattle calls. So like the Citizens United cattle calls that they had in the primary in 2015. You know, I went to all those as registered press. I've been registered press on many, many events. But in terms of how do you get to asking specific questions, the undercover work that I've been doing in the past year has been focused on ongoing threats to our democracy. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And I felt like extraordinary times called for extraordinary measures. So when you started, it was about covering the Occupy movement, covering things on behalf of current TV or the Young Turks, progressive outlets. Was there a moment in time when you said there are progressive things that I want to see happen or that I believe need to happen, but democracy has to come first? Was there a light bulb that went off on that? I think I'm a pragmatic progressive and I'm obviously an advocacy journalist. Like i take stances on issues, but I think that I'm as transparent as I can be in terms of like what I think is right or wrong. And I try to be as objective as possible in the asking of my question. Like I strive to ask questions that are valid and elicit information that we all need to know as informed citizens. Well, I think on that note, Rob, let's get ready to look at some of these. So the first clip we're going to listen to is from then-Senator-elect Tommy Tuberville of Alabama. He had not even taken office yet. This was from December of last year. Rob, why don't we go ahead and roll that? Folks, we got to grab a hold and hold on. We have no choice. Listen to me now. We have no choice but to win this election. They're going to try to steal it. They're going to try to buy it. They're going to do everything they can, lie, cheat, steal to win this election, like they did in the presidential election. It's impossible. It is impossible what happened, but we're going to get that all correct. And I'm going to tell you, don't give up on it. Are you going to fight to make this election right? Pardon? Are you going to fight to make this election right? We're going to fight hard. What can y'all do on January 6th? Madison said y'all had tricks up your sleeve. We're going to run to it at the airport. We've got to get this way. Well, you see what's coming. You've been reading about it in the House. The Democrats are not going to win. We're going to have to do it. I'm sorry. All right. So there's Tommy Tuberville. We always love the staffer who's trying desperately to get his overly talking candidate out of the way. But you were not to be deterred. So basically, this was during the context of the Georgia Senate runoffs in which John Ossoff and Reverend Warnock were victorious on January 5th. But here's a guy, again, has not yet taken office and says they're going to do it in the House. We're going to do it in the Senate, too. I mean, let's be clear. Tommy Tuberville is a former football coach. Maybe not the best choice for a United States senator. That's another call. So did you expect to get the answer you got? You know, I, I didn't think, oh, he's going to tell me that they're going to challenge the Electoral College. Yeah, it's just that multiple speakers had been talking about, you know, we still have options. Like, keep fighting. Don't give up. We still have options. And so for me, I'm like... Well, if Madison Cawthorn is saying this and he's a congressman elect and now Tommy Tupperville is saying this and he's a senator elect, there's a lot of implied movement going on there. And I want to know what that is. So I don't necessarily like make assumptions about like what it is. Like if I 
have an inkling of it, you know, I'll try to get to it. But a lot of times it's better to just be more broad because you never know what they'll say. Whereas if you're like super specific, they can just brush it off. Right. You actually give them the chance to narrow down the answer. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just easier to broadly ask, what are you going to do? I mean, you've got to fight for President Trump. We know the election was stolen. Right. No. And I think I've told you, you mentioned that you're from Tennessee. So many of the places you go, the Southern accent is like a passport into these places. There's still this sort of weird connection to the American South for a lot of American conservatives. All right. So let's talk about clip number two. This is from May. This is Ted Cruz. Now, I was on the 2000 Bush campaign with Ted Cruz. And a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a friend of mine who was on that campaign. And they said, you know how how disliked Ted Cruz was 21 years ago? The entire campaign would try and figure out where he was going to go at night so that they held happy hour somewhere else. Just to give you a sense, like this is not new news. And as my partner in crime, Rick Wilson, likes to say, there are two kinds of people, Ted Cruz and people who hate Ted Cruz. <laughs> All right. So, Rob, why don't we play this one? It's a little hard to hear, but let's go through it. And yet again, the staffer, who I know exactly what that guy looks like, he's shorter, but he looks and acts exactly like Jonah from Veep. He's a shiny young proto-fascist. His whole job is to keep people like you away from people like Ted Cruz, and they are all bad at their jobs. You know, to skip forward a little bit, at this J6 event, the guy who was the maestro of it, Matt Brainerd, he had this guy with him, behind him who was wearing one AirPod in his ear, and he kept holding his finger up to it as if there was someone talking to him, which there wasn't, as if someone would believe he was some sort of weird secret service, secret agent man. And I'm like, I have seen so many of those squirrels in my time in politics. I always find them fascinating because in that moment, they really think they're official. It's truly something to behold. I mean, he really had the look of, you know, a wannabe Matrix agent. (laughs) That's right. He was Agent Smith if Agent Smith was not good at what he did. All right. So next, clip three here, Rob, is two of our favorites here at The Lincoln Project, Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now, Greene is present but doesn't talk on this clip, but this is later in May of this year. Rob, let's go ahead. We are honored to be in the state of Arizona. So, Matt Gates, have you encountered him more than this? Yes, I have. I've never seen the man in person. I mean, is he just like a full size Beavis from Beavis and Butthead? Or what's the sense when you're like standing next to this guy asking a question? Is he all in or is he just crazy or both? 
I mean, you know, he has this sort of like Beavis and Butthead look mixed with American Psycho. Mm, okay. So Beavis meets... A more meets polished Butthead. Beavis meets Christian Bale. What's well, Butthead? Beavis is the blonde one. Oh, he is? Yeah. Okay, so Butthead meets Christian Bale. Yes. Quite an image. <laughs> I guess if the image I mean, obviously not as attractive as Christian Bale, but... <laughs> well, yeah. The, the slickness factor of like... Right. You know. And so, you know, here he is. He's talking about these audits. And what's amazing to me is that any of these people say these things and think that no one's going to hear about it, whether or not it's someone like you or someone tweeting it or whatever the case might be. They say these things very openly. I mean, clearly I was able to talk to them about it, but in a separate clip, Paul Gosar was at that same event and he was willing to go into detail about how these are the states we should look at launching audits in. And of course, they're all states where Biden won. So to that end, let's listen to the Gosar clip. Now, Paul Gosar, just for everybody's information, is a congressman from Arizona. He is a dentist by trade. His family dislikes him so much that I believe either during the 18 cycle or the 2020 election cycle, they actually cut an ad for his opponent saying, do not send our <laughs> brother to Congress, just to give you a sense of how his family feels about him. Rob, let's go ahead and listen. Gates was talking about how Arizona is going to be the template for the rest of the country. We just want to know, like, what can we do in states across the country to really protect election integrity? Like, what are the, the states where we could launch other audits? Well, I mean, uh, we could actually do it in every state. Because what you're doing, but what is you're are the most important ones, and the uh, ones where Michigan, we actually make a difference? Michigan, Wisconsin. Because we have to defend yeah. Trump. We oh. have to defend our president. Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, and Nevada. And is there any? And you know what? I got to get him to his car because we have an event tomorrow. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Joe Biden now wins this election now. Thank you. We've got to keep fighting. What we do? Thank you. Can we actually change this? Can we defend President Trump from Arizona? You need to. You need to call your state state senators. We will. We definitely call your state senators. She was uh, very aggressive, but I was pretty relentless with her, which is why, like, I got so excitable and, like, you know, trying to yell out everything I was saying was right. because she's, like, trying to tug him away. And he's kind of glued to me at this point where, right, you know, because he I have, wants to tell you what he wants to do. Yes. I have, like, a tractor beam sort of thing going on with him. Right. And she's trying to, like, <laughs> All right. So this next clip is one from late last month, actually. And. If there's any more odious character in the Senate, and there's a lot of them, Ron Johnson is either one or one A. This is a guy, I believe he's the wealthiest guy in the Senate. He went all in on the Hunter Biden craziness of 2020 when he tried to put all this stuff together, utilizing his role as, I believe, chair of the Senate Oversight Committee. It was a big fizzle. They couldn't figure anything out. But he's been all in on Trump and Trumpism. And so here you are. Where was this event? This was in Wauwatosa, so right outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Okay. So, Rob, why don't we play clip five? You know, you know that Joe Biden didn't win this election. I mean, in my heart of hearts, I, I just... Yeah. So to, to, he didn't win. To, to, do you know the... Do you, know do you the, think that Joe Biden do, won this election? Do you know the... In Wisconsin, do you know the vote totals? I don't, no. I, so without knowing the vote totals, you, you can't even state that opinion. I just really need all the small chatter. Just well, I mean... You, 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 I, no, 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 so let me give you the vote totals. I know that there was a, a, a late night dump in Milwaukee, a vote dump. I don't remember exactly what the numbers were. We've done a recount in Milwaukee. Prior to, prior to this election, I was the number one vote-getter statewide, just under 1.5 million votes, okay? 
this election, Trump got a million six ten. No one's talking to ever crack one point five million. He said no. Numerous Democrats have gone over one point six and one point five. So now for the first time in history, we have a president's candidate beating my vote total by 130,000 votes. Collectively, the state assembly candidates and the just, just Republican state assembly candidates got a, a million 661. The eight congressional candidates also got a million 661. So we obviously counted enough Republican votes. The only reason Trump, the only reason Trump lost Wisconsin is 51,000 Republican voters didn't vote for him. They voted for other Republican candidates. So you're telling me that Joe Biden won the state fair Because I don't see it. I don't believe it. Well, look at the totals. It's certainly plausible. There's, no, there's nothing obviously, there's nothing obviously skewed about the results. All right. So this is brilliant because this is a guy who you're talking to. And then when he wants to tell you the truth, you can tell just from listening, he leans in, he lowers his voice a little bit and he tells you the reason he didn't win is because 50,000 Republicans voted for somebody else. And you're working him to say the election was stolen and he won't give it to you. And this is a guy who admittedly has not yet decided whether or not he's going to run for reelection. But this is dogma amongst Trump supporters, among many Republicans now. And he's basically saying it's all bullshit. That's why I kind of flipped it from saying, like, you know, the election was stolen to saying the affirmative of. So you're telling me that Joe Biden won fair and square? I mean. You know better than I do. So if you're saying that he won fair and square, I, I'll believe you. Right. Which, of course, is now you can sort of get him coming and going. Yeah. I mean, he didn't want to say, yeah, he won fair and square, but it was an affirmative. Yes. It was close enough. At no point did he say, you're right. Joe Biden didn't win this state. And in fact, those 50,000 votes were stolen from Donald Trump because you even gave him the sort of escape hatch into the late night ballot dump and he wouldn't go there. Because he didn't believe it. And that's, I think, guys, as we've talked about so many times on this podcast and what Lauren, I think, is doing and her work is exposing this is the fundamental hypocrisy, but really the cynicism, too, which is they all know it's horseshit. Every last one of them knows it's horseshit. And when caught in these moments, they'll tell you the truth. But when he decides to go up in front of some hardcore primary crowd in Wisconsin, He'll probably change his mind. He'll probably say whatever it is he thinks he needs to say to get away with it. But that's where your work is so incredibly valuable because it's not so much about reminding Democrats about what a hypocrite Ron Johnson is, because everybody believes it on that side, or even amongst many independents. It's among those hardcore Republican voters who go, well, which one is it? Because in our mind, there is just as good a chance a Republican primary voter or a hardcore Trump voter will stay home from voting for Ron Johnson than voting for his Democratic opponent because they're pissed off, right? Because at the end of the day, they don't care. It doesn't matter to them. They just want to punish Ron Johnson. And the way they can do that is staying home. They're never going to vote for a Democrat. So it's fabulous. And of course, Republicans, you know, the, the hair is on fire and they can't believe you said that. Speaking of which, okay. So just a few weeks ago, there is a guy named Jim Jordan, who is a congressman from Ohio, now, he is yet another one on the mutant parade who, like, is one or one A of the scumbags in the United States Congress. He never wears a jacket, right? You're afraid of Republicans taking the U.S. House, guys. You should not be afraid of Kevin McCarthy being Speaker of the House. You should be afraid of Jim Jordan being Speaker of the House. That's what I would be worried about. But walk us through this. So Jim Jordan, as I mentioned, big Trump supporter, was communicating with Trump on January 6th. 
when he's been asked those questions, very, very cagey about what they were discussing when they were talking. So where were you when you did this? So this was outside of Des Moines, Iowa. And at this particular county dinner that was featuring Jordan, there was a VIP reception beforehand and we went into the photo queue and struck up a conversation with him, which was very brief. You know, obviously would have wanted to talk to him longer. Sure. But, you know, he just offers kind of out of the gate. Oh, you know, the president's going to run again. All right. So, Rob, let's listen to this clip six. We're big fans of everything you do. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. President Trump, he's going to run again. Think so? I know so. I talked to him yesterday. He's, he's about ready to announce after all this craziness in Afghanistan. Yeah, like in Biden. Yeah, he said he's really bad, really bad. So, yeah, thank you for coming. Thanks a lot. All right. So, um, I don't, we certainly at the Lincoln Project believe that Donald Trump is going to run again. Surveys show that when he's in the race, he takes sixty-seven percent of the vote in the primary election. So. The fascinating part about this is not only that Jim Jordan clearly wanted to show that he was somebody who gets to talk to Donald Trump, which is why he did this, but also his office claimed that he never said it. It was an interesting dynamic. So here's the context of that. He said that to me ahead of the dinner. During the dinner, during his speech, he said, I think that President Trump is going to run again. I'd be really shocked if he didn't. But, you know, we all got to keep the faith. Da, right. da, da, da. Whereas he told us beforehand, I know. Right. So we're sitting on this information from the reception where I'm like, oh, God, you know, we need to hurry up and get back to cut this and get this out. Like, this is like major news that he's right. definitely running. And the implication was any day now. Right? right. And the way that I'd remembered it was like he had used the words any day now, but it was like he had spoken to him yesterday and right. he's about ready to announce. So I shouldn't have used the quotes around any day now. But what happened was, during his speech, he says he thinks there's journalists in the room and I'm looking at Pete and I'm just like, someone's going to report on this and our like scoop is not actually going to be a scoop because right. people are going to be like, oh, you know, he didn't say that. You right. know, he said he thinks da, 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 da. And so that's why I went ahead and I'm like, Pete, uh, by the way, you know, Pete is my colleague, my associate producer. Like, please tell me, confirm the way you said it was like any day now. This is happening. I know. He's like, definitely. I know. And so we put out a teaser with just a photo because that's all we had. I mean, we were still running tape. There's nothing that we could put out except for a photo of the event and the news that we were breaking. And so we didn't put the video out until the next day, but they right. issued the statement in the interim to right. say he didn't say that. So it's like, OK, well, did you talk to him about what he said in the right. VIP reception? Or are you going off what you heard during his speech to the dinner? So. My charitable assessment is that they were going off his dinner remarks. Right. You know, look, I think that Trump will run again. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But it would not surprise me if he announces next year, because that would be the perfect time for him to make maximum trouble for as many possible people. 2023, it's expected, whatever. But 2022, when all the attention is on other things, on the Senate, on the House, on governor's races, on issues, whatever it is, and he just goes, by the way... I'm back. Right. And here's the thing. He doesn't care about his own party, so he doesn't care. Right. All he cares about is himself. Well, I also think that he wants to drive Mitch McConnell crazy. So. Well, yeah. And there was news in The Wall Street Journal this week that he's been calling Republican senators saying you need to throw him out. You need to get rid of him. 
doesn't appear like he's had any takers, at least none that would go on the record. But, you know, I would say this is that he has less control over his conference than he's had in the 15 years he's been Republican leader. And we should assume, too, that if new Republicans win next year, they're going to be significantly more Trumpy than they are McConnell-ish if they get through, because that'll just be the nature of the primary election. It's going to be a wild ride next year. All right. So one of our favorites, former Vice President Mike Pence, um, (laughs) is our last clip. Let me say this about Mike Pence. Mike Pence has so little self-esteem, so little self-respect that he is willing to go for the nomination of a party who would have seen him hanged if they had had their choice. That's truly a mind-boggling level of is there a word for that? Maybe the Germans have a word for it. I don't think we have one in English, but it's truly something to be Self-hatred? Self-hatred, self-loathing. Yeah. All right. So clip seven, Rob, let's go ahead and play that. We were there on January 6th and we were just wondering why you didn't stop the election from being stolen. Uh, read the Constitution. The only authority Congress has is to open and count the Electoral College votes certified by the states. We never want from Washington, D.C. to run our elections. States run the elections. And no state had submitted more than one set of electors. So our only job was to open account. But read the Constitution. Did, did you think the election was stolen or not? Because, I mean, we, I we were, were there fighting of, for President Trump. I think there were a lot of irregularities that are now being fixed at state levels. Okay. But states, you never want Washington, D.C. to run elections. Great, sir. Very nice to meet you. Okay. I love your heart. Thank you. Thank you so much. Lauren, mm-hmm. Mike Pence loves your heart. As a capital insurrectionist, he loves he my loves heart. your my Mike Pence hating heart. To corazón. <laughs> so the funny thing is, going back through all of the books that have been written about that transition period from November third to January sixth, and January sixth to January twentieth, is that Mike Pence said, "I have to stand by the Constitution." Period. End of statement. But now it turns out this week that he spoke with former Vice President Dan Quayle, who had to count the votes for his own loss in 1993 after losing with George H.W. Bush. And it turns out that Quayle's like, no, Mike, there's no option here. You may want an option to try and figure out what Trump wants you to do, but there's no way to go about it. Now, if you had told me that Dan Quayle, who my dad worked for for a million years and I grew up with his kids, would be the person who was giving good political advice or solid constitutional advice. Lauren, not on my bingo card. <laughs> Are you doing that to jab me yes, for what absolutely. I said on Twitter? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I know that is your least favorite expression, which is why. No, I, I think I heard like 10 different people <laughs> on TV say, Dan Quayle, not on my bingo card. But I mean, it does go to show you, though, that Pence, if he could have found a way, if he could have found someone to validate his decision to upset that process, he'd have done it. Well, so what's funny is I reached out to a couple of journalists. So this uh, this is a Nebraska steak fry for Pete Ricketts. Right, which is Pete Ricketts is the governor of Nebraska. His dad is Joe Ricketts, founder of TD Ameritrade. So he's a billionaire. It was a cattle call. So, right. I mean, you had Ted Cruz there. You had Ron DeSantis and then Pence. I had sent the clip to some journalists. I said, what do you think about when he says none of the states had sent, they only sent one set of electors? Right. Like, Is he implying there that if they had sent more electors or alternate slates of electors that he might have had more options? And so I asked these questions like, I guess, Sunday, Monday, Monday, we put the video out. And I guess it was Tuesday that the news about Dan Quayle came out and it really just put it into perspective of like, oh, wow, 
this would have been a different calculus for him if a state had succeeded in sending alternate slates of electors. And apparently that's what they attempted to do in Michigan and maybe additional states where there was like a GOP set of electors. All right. So one question I want to ask you before we go is you participate in the journalism world. You operate in that world. What is it that you see like mainline political media? What are they doing well and what do they need to do better? My biggest beef with mainstream media is this false equivalence. Biden is just held to a much different standard than Trump was. And we're seeing ridiculous scandals over things that, you know, the dog. Yeah, I mean, do we really care that Major Biden has like behavior problems? He he moved like they sent him back to Delaware. And Politico, I think, is maybe the worst of them. They've gotten progressively more like both sidery. It's very weird. They spent time going after Jennifer Rubin like over this past week for becoming a Democrat after being like a Republican. I don't really get it. To me, I think it's that false equivalency that you speak of that's most frustrating to me. And when it comes to people like President Biden versus a President Trump, I call it the discount rate, which is Trump has been such an asshole for so long that the expectations of his behavior and actions are non-existent. So whatever it is he does, they're like, oh, okay. Or they get to write 16 different pieces on how this was lie, 30,001 and 30,002 and 30,003. And it's, they enjoy the chaos. Whereas there was even a blog post by a current journalist, but I think she said she had a lot of friends still in the White House press corps. They miss the chaos and they're somehow resentful of the idea that Biden runs a White House that doesn't leak that if they text Jen Psaki, she has a press aide respond to them with the answer to their question, that, you know, they can't get the behind the scenes thing. They don't know what's really going on in the Oval Office because Donald Trump either told you via Twitter or via the press or someone leaked it immediately as it was happening, as if that was somehow always the normal way to conduct business. When in fact, like if you're a White House reporter who I've known many of, your job is to cultivate the source find those people who are willing to give you the sense of what's going on and then use those people sparingly and then compare that to what the administration is saying publicly. And if there's a discrepancy, absolutely. But this just seems to be like, what are the little things we can find or sometimes the big things that we can find? You know, like I think that the coverage of Afghanistan was an exemplar of that in which the national media is covering it Obviously, a very dynamic situation. I think everybody involved probably wishes they did it differently and did it better. But it was that kind of bone that they just could not let go of. And still, some of them can't and are so quick to rush to judgment. You know, I'm not trying to be a lackey for the Biden administration, but I think it's really unfair when you have stories coming out after this rush to judgment of like, oh, the Afghan government was begging them not to leave because they didn't want to speed the collapse. Like, oh, the Trump administration gutted the refugee program. And let these guys out of prison. Let all these Taliban folks out (laughs) and then, you know, gutted the SIV program. It's not like Stephen Miller would have been like, yes, Afghans, let us welcome you with open arms. If you think that they were going to get a better outcome for a withdrawal from Afghanistan under Trump, I'm sorry, mainstream media, please. And of course, the other example to me right now is the situation at the border. You know, now various Republican factions in the House and Senate leading expeditions down to the border to advocate for the poor migrant children. They're all of a sudden like very concerned about 
And that's not to say that there's not a problem there. There's definitely a problem. Sure. But where were they during the Trump administration? Well, they were the ones going to the facilities in their blue blazers and khaki pants, looking around, clearly uncomfortable, leaving the area, saying nothing, basically running back to their cars and then getting back to Washington and not saying anything about it. All right. So, Lauren, before we let you go, where can our listeners find you online? The easiest way would be to be on Twitter, and that's at L.A. Windsor, L-A-W-I-N-D-S-O-R. You can also go to our website, theundercurrent.tv. We're on Facebook as well. You can check out American Family Voices at AmericanFamilyVoices.org. All right. Well, awesome. As always, everybody, you can find me on Twitter at Reed Galen. Lauren, thank you so much for joining me today. And everybody, we'll see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. Also, be sure to check out our LPTV lineup, including The Breakdown with Tara Setmayer and Rick Wilson, which airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, as well as We're Speaking with Lisa Senecal and Maya May, which airs Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. All shows you can stream live on the Lincoln Project's YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter pages. And we'd love you to join us for our newest show, Lunch with Lincoln, which airs every Friday at noon Eastern on our YouTube channel. For the Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. See you on the next episode.